All right, good morning. All right, no hiccups like last week. We had mic issues and all sorts of stuff. So there's an NRA keychain up here. I don't know if somebody lost that, but in case case you're missing your NRA keychain, it's up here. It's safe. Man, good morning. I'm, I'm, I'm going to adjust. Uh, I'm not going to adjust. I'm going to talk loud today. Um, hopefully, they, yeah, they can adjust me in the back. Um, last week, my wife said, I, I don't know if they could hear you because as you got softer, the air conditioning, and, and Jean had mentioned it to me too. So this morning, we're just going to talk loud, and um, if it's too loud, it's their fault. So... <laughs> I, uh, man, I got to be honest with you. I am having an awesome summer, but it has been tough. I, I teach and my wife teaches, so we're off. I mean, I don't know what to do with myself. It happened last year and it was great. I know, 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 I know. Sleeping until 10 o'clock every day. No. Um, I, I lost track of the days. I'm downstairs and I'm getting stuff done and I'm making breakfast. And if you follow me on social media, all you've seen is like the pictures of my food. I'm making breakfast. I'm like playing with the kids. And my, my daughters came downstairs. I, maybe it was Friday. And Taryn's got a beautiful dress on. And, and she's, I can't find my shoes. And she is freaking out. And I, I, Taryn, what's the matter, honey? I can't find my shoes. I can't find my shoes. I said, well, it's okay. Put your sneakers on. I can't wear sneakers with this dress, Dad. I'm like, okay. Why are you freaking out? We have church. Taryn. I think it's Friday. I think you're safe. I don't even know what day it is these past couple of days. It's, it's been tough. I know. If you feel bad for me, I, I know. It's, it's been crazy. Yes. <laughs> uh, I want to thank you for coming out this morning to, to be with us. Um, it is July, so I didn't have to wear a tie. But I felt like I should put a sweater on. Maybe that would make me look... A little more pastorly or something. So um, I don't know. I I was gonna throw on a pair of nice jeans and a button down, but I thought that might be I don't know a little too casual for me to be up here. But maybe next time we'll see how it goes. Um, again, I thank you guys for being here today. Uh, I really appreciate it. And Ben, I know he kind of snuck out to kind of refresh himself a little bit. It gets hot up there, man. If you've never been up on stage with the praise team, it gets hot. So, uh, but that was awesome. Like, sitting up here in the front and hearing everybody sing, amazing. Thank you guys for participating in worship today. Um, just real quickly, last week we talked about unity within the church, and we talked about maybe some ideas and steps that we can apply to our lives to, to be able to get along a little bit better. And today, realistically, we're just going to talk about having unity with God. And Paul talks about that in Ephesians chapter 4, and, and throughout the Bible, it just talks about our relationship with God, and when our relationship with God is good, everything else seems to go good. Not that it's prosperity, it's just that God's always active in our lives. And when we're right with God, we know it. Even when we're sick, even when we're dealing with loss, even when we're dealing with pain and struggle, we know that God is still active in our lives and we can feel that presence. But when we're not right with God, that's when we start looking at God and shaking our fists going, hey, how come I'm going through this and everybody else seems to be fine and dandy? Well, because, hey, we've neglected our relationship with God. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. So I'm going to ask you to join me in prayer, and then we're going to jump right back into Ephesians chapter 4. Will you pray with me this morning? Lord, we are grateful that you are such an awesome God, a God that loves us, and a God that has our best interest in mind at all times. 
And Lord, I pray this morning as we get into your word that you would just allow me to speak clearly, that you would speak through me, Lord, that um, your words would be said and not mine. Lord, that um, we would be able to leave here today challenged to live in a way that would honor you. Lord, that would show that we are truly stamped with your seal. Lord, that we are Christians, that we are a representation of Christ. Lord, that we would take our relationship with you to that next level. Lord, that we would know you and that we would love you. Lord, I pray for this time and commit it to your hands. We ask these things in your name. And all God's people said, Amen. So back into Ephesians chapter 4, we're going to start in verses 17, and we're just going to read 17, 18, and 19. We're going to take a little break, then we'll read a little bit more and take a little break. So starting in uh, chapter 4, verse 17, it says, So this I say and affirm together with the Lord, that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles also walk, in the futility of their mind, being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their heart. And they, having become callous, have given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. And and Paul just got done talking about how we have unity with each other in the the first half of chapter 4. And now Paul's going to jump right into maintaining our unity with God. This is kind of the hammer over the head portion of this. Because when we talk about having unity with each other, we realize and understand that you're right. As Christians, we should love our neighbor, and we should look out for the needs of others, and we should take someone else's feelings into account. But when it comes to our relationship with God, we look at that and we go, yeah, but if nobody sees what I'm doing over here, it's still okay. And we look at it and we say, I can walk the way I want to walk, and I can live the way I want to live, and I can do the things I want to do, and it makes no difference because when I show up on church on Sunday, I sing my song, and I raise my hand, and I pray my heart out, and God sees that. Paul says, God doesn't care. Because if you want to walk like the Gentiles, and you want to walk like the world, and you want to walk like the unsaved, he says, it's futility, it's worthless, it's vanity. Solomon wrote all about this in the book of Ecclesiastes. Solomon is a man that loved God for most of his life. And then with all his wives came idol worship and came other things that took the place of God, and he wrote an entire book about what that felt like. And in chapter 1 of Ecclesiastes, down in verse 12, Solomon writes, I, the preacher, have been king over Israel and Jerusalem, and I set my mind to seek and explore by wisdom concerning all that has been done under heaven. It is, grievous, it is a grievous task which God has given to the sons of men to be afflicted with. Jeez. I have seen all the works which have been done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity. Is that loud enough? Am I too loud? All right, good. I don't, I'm, I'm not yelling at you. I just feel like I'm... <laughs> all right. It says, I have seen all the works which have been done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity and striving after the wind. I have a seventh grade Bible class that I teach over here at the school, and I ask them to draw me a picture of what some of these verses look like. Because if you really want to see how kids are picking up on these concepts, on what it means to be a Christian... Ask them to draw a picture of it. Because they will draw with every bit of them to say, this is what I think it looks like. 
And I know that because I have two little kids, and I say, draw a picture of me. And they do everything they can to add detail. And they do spiky, puffy hair, and they draw a beard, and they, they want to make sure my eye color is right. And they come right up to me, and they look, and they say, well, your eyes aren't really, like, blue. What are they? I'm like, I don't know. Just color them blue. It's fine. I know what you're drawing. Anyway, and I ask them to draw me. What does it look like to strive after the wind? And, you know, they just kind of sat there, and they thought about it. And they said, well, what's it mean? It means, what's it, what would it look like to chase the wind? And one of the kids drew a picture of a, of a little girl running down a hillside with kind of like the swirly cues of wind. And she's just reaching, and it's just out of reach. And then the second half of the page, you see her come to a stop with like an exclamation point over her head. And she's looking all confused, and the curly cues are now behind her. Because if we're striving after the wind, hey, I don't know what direction it's going to go. I'm going one way, then all of a sudden I stop and it's going another way. And sometimes I have no idea where I am. So I'm like, well, am I going the right way? Is the wind blowing this way? Is the wind blowing that way? How many of you play golf? I play golf. I really enjoy it. And I have to do this. I get out there and I look. I'm like, man, looks like the trees are kind of blowing that way. And then I I pick up the grass and I drop it. And the trees are blowing this way. Then my grass blows that way. How am I supposed to hit into that? I hit it at the stick and see what happens. It usually ends up in the woods. But but, the the point is here, it's vanity. It's futile. In our Christian walk, if we're desiring and striving after the world, it's futile. It's useless. It's vanity. Why? Why? There's a band called Switchfoot, and they have a song. Uh, I don't know the name of it, but it, maybe it's We Were Meant to Live. What, what, I don't know that that's the name of it, but the chorus talks about we were meant to live for so much more, but we, we lost ourselves. And if you remember the Newsboys from, like, the 90s, they had a song on the Serial album. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Probably not, but that's okay. But they had a song called, I don't, remember, I don't know what the name of the song was, but in the song it said, we've forgotten our first love, we've lost the plot. We've forgotten our first love. We've lost the plot. We've strived after chasing the wind. We seek after wisdom. Solomon continues in chapter 2 and he says, I said to myself, come now, I will test you with pleasure, so enjoy yourself. Man, could that be a better picture of what the world looks like? Just enjoy yourself, go out there, give it the old college try and have some fun. That's what he says. And he continues, he says, you know what? I'll stimulate my mind with wine, and we'll see where that takes me. And you know what? I'm going to build up houses, and I'm going to build up gardens, and I'm going to build up vineyards, and I'm going to have these massive, awesome possessions. I'm going to have the biggest kingdom in the world. And you know what he says about that? He says, thus I considered all my activities. This is down in verse 11 which my hands had done in the labor which I had exerted. And guess what? Behold, all was vanity and striving after the wind. And there was no profit under the sun. It was worth absolutely nothing. Listen, you want to read the rest of Ecclesiastes, you'll see what he comes to in the end. In the end, verse, uh, chapter 5, he starts saying, Hey, guard your steps. Serve God. Seek after Him. If you make a vow to God, honor it. 
Hey, we've made a vow to God that says we are going to live a separate, different life. We're going to be called out. We are going to be sanctified. We are going to be holy. We're going to be set apart. Why? To do the will of God. If you're not striving after what God has for you, what God is putting in your life, if you're not striving after the things of God, if you're not striving to know God, if you're not striving to love God, guess what? It's futile. It's vanity. It's useless. It leaves us empty. Why? Because once we've tasted the goodness of God, there is absolutely nothing that can satisfy those desires, those cravings on earth. Solomon tried everything, and it was all useless. It was pointless. It left him craving more. We were made for so much more. We were made for another world. That's what C.S. Lewis said, right? If, there's, if there is just nothing on this earth that will satisfy me to my core, that must mean I am made for something out of this earth. That's not the specific quote. It's pretty close. But you get what I'm saying. So what does this tell me about Paul writing this in Ephesians chapter 4? It's not a new concept. It's not new. It's generational. It's universal. Just as God's love and His mercy and His grace and His salvation has withstood the test of time, so has that desire to walk after the flesh. And we have both of those raging and warring inside of us. And we really briefly mentioned that last week. Is in Romans, Paul writes, I know what I should do, but I can't do it. And my members, my body, my mind, my hands, my heart, my soul... They fight against me every single day because there's two natures inside of me. And this is the same idea that Paul is pushing through here. Paul is saying, they have become callous, have given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. That's what the world looks like. Sadly, that's what a lot of Christianity looks like. And look, this isn't aimed at anybody. You know how I can say that? It's because I don't know 90% of you that well. (laughs) So you can't be like, man, that Tim, he's just, no, I, I don't know. I have no idea where you're at this morning. I don't know what your testimony is. I don't know what your walk is. I don't know how you serve God. I don't know how you love him. I don't even know if you care about his commandments. I know how I feel. And I know that I can relate to Paul when he says, I am the chiefest of sinners. And then when he says in Philippians, I'm not here saying that I've attained anything, I haven't accomplished anything, because every day I have to wake up, and every day I have to put on the new man and take off the old self and say, God, please restore me, renew my mind, work through me, help me to stay where you want me to be. Help me to follow your commandments. Help me to love you. Help me to love my wife. Help me to love my kids. Please, Lord, help me to love my sister-in-law's dog. (laughs) She's staying with us this week. And man, i got to be honest. I'm rethinking whether or not I want a dog. But do you see the point? Tomorrow's struggles are going to be different than today's. And they're potentially going to be worse. 
Jesus says, don't worry about tomorrow's troubles. Worry about where you're at right now. Where are you at right now? Where is your relationship with God right now? What's it built on? What are you seeking after? Because Paul says in verse 20, he says, you did not learn Christ this way. You didn't. You didn't learn that it was okay to come to know Him and to accept Him and to experience that salvation and to have that grace in your life to go out there and just act like every other person walking down the street. In fact, if you want to flip over with me to the book of 1 John, we're going to jump over there for just a little bit. 1 John chapter 1, verse 5 and 6 says, This is the message we have heard from Him and announced to you. That God is light, and in Him there is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with Him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Hey, that's the message. That's what you learn, right? That God is light. In Him there is no darkness. He can't fellowship with sin. It ruins our relationship with Him. So what's the point? The point is this. We can't walk with God with one foot and try to hop in the world with the other and go back and forth. Not only does it look foolish to your fellow believers, not only does it, is, is there absolutely no impact on the world, God looks at it and he goes, come on, you, you, you know better than this. You've, this isn't what you learned. This isn't how our relationship is supposed to go. And this is not new. This is the children of Israel all throughout the Old Testament. They loved God. They loved idols. They got punished. They shook their fist at God. Then they repented. Then they loved God. God blessed them. Only until they said, I kind of like this a little bit more. And then God said, well, okay, I guess I'll discipline you again. And it just went over and over and over and over again. And in my life, it goes over and over and over again. Why? Because there are days when I'm at the top of the mountain, and then there are days that I'm in the valley. There are days where I feel like I I, I am just sitting down face-to-face with God having breakfast, and there are days where I'm just like crying out in the wilderness, God, where are you in my life? What are you doing? How can I serve you any more than I already am? And he goes, hey, um, just by the way, there's a, a little area that I need you to kind of clean up. You know, your pride that's been, you know, impacting how you talk to your wife and how you talk to other people and and how you talk to your students, that's been an issue. And and because that's an issue, I I, I can't fellowship with you until you look at that and you get it right. Sometimes it's, it's my anger. And sometimes it's because I'm just like, hey, I'd rather focus on watching the football game. And I... There have been times where I've been like, oh, I got a headache, I should stay home and watch the football game. I said that part low so it doesn't pick up on the recording. (laughs) And, you know, I'll be honest. I don't know if it's God trying to punish me or if it's just the futility of being an Eagles fan. As many times as I've probably stayed home to watch the game, I think they lose. And not in, like, little ways. I, I remember my wife, she'll probably tell you about this. The Eagles played the 49ers a couple years back, and they had this high octave. I mean, the defense was unbelievably incredible. And I'm like, you know, I, this is a big game. I'm going to stay home and watch it. And we stayed home. We did. 
And uh, I was like, man, this is a great game. My daughter's sitting on the couch with me. We get some popcorn. She's like, oh, honey, how's your headache? Oh, it's, it's getting better. <laughs> First half, the defense, interceptions, touchdowns, Darren Sproles runs back, punt returns, kickoffs. I mean, we're up like 21 to nothing. I'm like, oh. And then the second half starts, and it's like, all right, they scored. Then the 49ers scored again, and they scored again. And by the end of the game, I'm like, we are going to lose this game. And Ashley says to me, why are you even watching this? Like, doesn't it just hurt your soul? And I'm like, yeah, it does. Like, a lot. Thanks. Like, stop. And then she always likes to point out, well, you wouldn't feel that way if you were a Patriots fan. And I'm like, (laughs) my integrity won't let me cheer for the Patriots. No. But I'm watching this game, and I'm thinking, you know, I, 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 my daughter's going, Daddy, how come we didn't go to church tonight? I'm like, shh, shh, game's on. Yeah, but I wanted to play in the nursery. See, she doesn't get, like, church as, she, she sees it as playing in the nursery. But she knew, hey, we should probably be in church. I, I, the Eagles lost, and they lost horribly. I mean, they gave up, ugh, it, Miserable, But I can't help. When that happens, I think, you know what? Maybe this is God saying, don't stay home and watch the Eagles. It's useless. It's vanity. It's pointless. Serve me. You made a commitment to me. You made a commitment to your teens. You made a commitment to your church. Honor it. You made a vow. Honor it. You decided that you wanted to be in this position. You wanted to be the leader of your household. You want to serve God. As for me and my house, we will serve God unless the Eagles are on Sunday night. It's not an option. And I'm wrestling with, I'm wrestling with that today. I'm not going to lie. I, I came in and I saw up on the board, prayer meeting tonight at 6 p.m. And a part of me went, but we have a dog this week. And I can't leave her inside all by herself. Like, what's going to happen? And Don came up and said to me, hey, are you going to make it tonight? And, and I had said to him, Don, I'm not, I'm not sure, man. And the other half of me is like, you need to be here. You need to be a part of this. You made a vow. You made a commitment. Hey, are you going to honor it? This is the message that we have heard from him and announced to you. God is light. There's no darkness. 1 John chapter 2 and verse 15, he says, Do not love the world nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the boastful pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. The world is passing away and also its lusts. But the one who does the will of God lives forever. I don't know what you're struggling with this morning. I don't know what sin, if any, has been impacting your life. But I can guarantee you one thing. It fits in one of those categories. It's either the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, or the pride of life. It's either I want something that's going to make my body feel a certain way. I I strive after that pleasure. Hey, Solomon did it. Listen, can I ask you guys an honest question by a show of hands? How many of you have enjoyed sin? Most of you are liars. It's okay. No, I understand that. It's fine. Because the Bible said, hey, sin is good for a season. It satisfies, but then it fades. And we're left feeling empty and we're left feeling destitute, and we're left going, I need more. It's a drug. It's not new. Solomon said the same thing. It's all vanity. The lust of the eyes. Hey, 
I saw a really cool car out there. I want it. I see a better job. I want it. I see whatever. You fill in the blanks. It's those desires that make us strive and put other people behind us and we will step on heads and we will do dishonest things and we will act without integrity to get what we want. The lust after things. The pride of life. Because I care too much what other people think about me. And I talked about that for just a quick second last week when I read that little excerpt from the, uh, the, the Tozer book where he says, you know what, having meekness is being less concerned about what you guys think about me and having a, a 100% concern about what God thinks about me. And not caring. You know what, I could walk in and be like, man, that guy, like, he wore a sweater and a purple shirt and his hair was all kind of flip-floppy. Did you see in the back? He's got a big... I don't care. I do. I'm lying. I do care. I do care. <laughs> I, I you ask my wife. I look at pictures and I'm like, whoa, there's like a big glare right here. It's crazy. I do. I'm, I'm waiting for it to leave so I can shave it. And my wife says, no, nope, you're going to look like a toe. And I was like, yeah. <laughs> at, at, at least a toe with a beard because that's, that's got to stay. Guys, listen, all, all three of these areas, they impact our relationship with God. Whether it's, it's the, the things we seek after to make our, ourselves, our bodies feel good. You can fill in the blanks, drugs, alcohol, sex, rock and roll, whatever. The things that we want, better jobs, better cars, bigger house, all the toys, all the things. Or, hey, I'm more concerned about me, my feelings, and my little pity parties and temper tantrums that I throw than to worry about what God thinks. Because I, I care about the stranger on the street who's going to see me drive by in my little clown car with my kids, and they drive out in a big truck. I want a big truck, I'm not going to lie. Yeah. Because I don't, I don't want to feel less. I don't want to feel unimportant. I don't want to feel like I'm not powerful. Then God looks at me and he goes, you know what? If you would just, for like five seconds, just shut your mouth and rest in me and follow me and just listen. Just shut up and listen. You'd feel all of that. Because I'm going to empower your life in such a way that it's not going to matter what situation you find yourself in. You're going to feel strengthened and empowered by God to face it. I don't know. Sometimes I'm a knucklehead. It's just kind of the way it goes. Back to Ephesians, chapter 4, verse 22. It says that, in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lusts of deceit, and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. Your former manner of life, the old self, it's corruption. It's addiction. It's striving after the flesh. And you know, I can't think of a better way to, to think about this than when um, I used to work at Staples here in Montgomery. And it would get hot in the summertime. And we'd be in the warehouse and no air conditioning, and we'd work from like 8 o'clock in the morning till sometimes 8, 9 o'clock at night, depending on, on the time of year, and especially in the summertime. 
the Board of Ed would call and they would bleed their budget dry and we would just be packing school supplies hours upon hours upon hours in like a 100 degree warehouse. And I would be filthy. Anybody ever work in a warehouse where there's cardboard? You get filthy. You get dirty. You sweat. You stink. You're nasty. You're dirty. And I would get home and I would walk into the house and my mom would say, don't sit on my couch. No, don't sit on the couch. I don't want to smell like you. They'd be, I'd sit down eat at dinner. What are you doing? I'm hungry. No. You're filthy. Go take a shower, change your clothes, get cleaned up, and come eat. God says, hey, I made a table for you full of delicious food and all this stuff, and I want to fellowship with you. But you know what? you got to change out of your dirty, stinky clothes. That's what he's saying here. Take off the old self that's full of corruption, that's full of filth, that's full of sin, that's full of despair, that's full of desperation. Cast it off. Here, put on this new clothes. Put on something that smells good. I don't know. Maybe it's just me. It doesn't matter what time of day it is. If I take a shower at night, I, all right, I'll be honest with you again. Maybe a little like, too honest. That you'll be like, oh, man, Tim, hey, you know, easy. Eh? It's summertime. I'm on a completely different schedule. I didn't take a shower last night until like 10 o'clock. <clears throat> yeah. The whole day. Why? Because I was like, I'm not going anywhere. But there is, doesn't matter. What I'm telling you is it doesn't matter the time of day. I, I took a shower last night. I put deodorant on. I put cologne on. Then I put my pajamas on. Why? Because there was just something about being clean and fresh that said, hey, I'm going to smell good. Even though I'm going to bed. In our spiritual lives, there's no difference. Don't you want to be clean? Don't you want to smell good? Don't, don't you want to stand in front of God and have him go, yeah, yeah this is my servant. This is, this is definitely, definitely someone who loves me. This is someone that I am just thrilled that they have committed to me. It says, be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of truth. We can put on God. We can put on Christ. That's our new outfit. That's what looks good. And you know what's awesome about that? Is it fits. It fits. We have to work to maintain it and, and to, 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 to keep it the way it should be because when we put that new outfit on, how many of you have little kids or have had little kids, right? You, you put them in a nice dress and it rains outside and I open the door and my daughter runs straight for the puddle and I can't stop her and she's just like splash and there's mud all on her dress and she's like, I got my dress dirty. I'm like, yeah, you think? You jumped in a mud puddle. Like, what did you think was going to happen? And don't we do the same thing with our Christianity? We put it on and we walk out the door and we're like, oh, well, this doesn't look too bad. And we roll around in it and we get all filthy and then we walk a little bit more and we're like, hey, God, I'm honoring you today, but mm, I'm going to hang out here for a little bit and we hang out. And, you know, I, I had friends in college and I went to Cairn University. And if you're familiar with the Langhorne area, there is a, uh, the All-American Diner, which was one of the last diners in the, the Philadelphia area that willingly stopped um, smoking in the restaurant. Now I'm pretty sure the whole state has it banned, but little by little, different restaurants would say, we're going to be smoke-free. But this place was like, no, we are not. And I had two roommates that smoked. 
and it was against the rules to smoke at school. So what we would do is we would go out, and they would smoke some cigarettes, and then we'd say, hey, let's go get some soup at the diner. Why? Because we'll smell like smoke. Where were you guys? We were at the diner, doggy bag full of soup. Here you go. Look, we know the ins and outs of ourselves. We know the, the puddles of filth that we roll around in. I think of it like a dog. Like the dog, it finds something nasty to roll around in, and it finds it, and it brings it into the house. And you're like, this whole house stinks. From what? From one little filthy thing that the dog rolled around in. Guess what? Hey, our temples, our tabernacles where God dwells with us, it stinks when we roll around in filth. God doesn't want to be in that. There's no part of that. Think about it. If, if, if a skunk sprayed your dog, where's your dog going to stay? Is it? It's a, that's probably a better analogy that I was going to go with. It's going to force its way into the house. And you know, like I, if it was my dog, it's going to stay outside. It's going to air out for a while. I'm going to spray it down and dump vinegar on it and tomato juice and whatever other home remedy I can find. Baking soda, lemon juice, peroxide, I don't know, battery acid, whatever gets rid of that smell. But we, we, are, we, we understand the concept. It's not new. Stay away from it. Don't be deceived. The lust of deceit, that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of truth. Let me uh, wrap up here quickly, um, which means I'm almost halfway done. In um, Galatians chapter 5, Paul talks about Um, the fruits of the Spirit. And he says, I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. Okay, there you go. Be yielded to the Spirit. Walk in the Spirit. Stay in the Spirit. Keep both feet where it's supposed to be. And guess what? You won't give in to the flesh. That's what he says. That's pretty basic. For the flesh sees its desires against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposite of one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. It's tug of war. Spirit's pulling this way. The flesh is pulling this way. And it says, you're not going to win. You're going to go nowhere. Why? Because they're constantly at odds. But if you're more yielded to the Spirit, the Spirit's going to be a little bit more successful in beating the flesh. But this isn't just a one and done thing. This is an every day, every hour, every minute concept that means at all times I need to be focused and letting the Spirit guide and direct my life. He continues and he says, But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now, if you're wondering what the flesh looks like, verse 19 says, Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry. Hey, those are like sins that are directly against God. I, I, I mean, I could break them down one by one if you need me to. I don't, I don't think we have to. I, th- I think we're all to the point in our lives where we understand what immorality is. We understand what sensuality is. We understand what idolatry is. We get that. Well, we're not really wrapped up in what does pastor call it? Um, I can't even think of the name of it. Like the, the big sins. Controversial stuff. I'm not cheating on my wife. I'm not beating my kids. I'm not stealing from my job. I'm not doing this. I'm not killing anybody. I'm good. Paul says, yeah, but hey, listen, here's some things. Sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, 
envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these. Listen, here's what is dangerous about what Paul just lists off. They're building blocks. And how they're building blocks is it starts with little things. Enemy. And, and, sorry. Enmities. And me and Ryan, we've been hanging out a little bit. We haven't been, but I'm just using this as an example. And one day, um, Kaylin says to Ryan, Hey, you know, you ever notice that when Tim talks, he walks around a lot and he uses his hands? It's kind of weird, you know? And he goes, Yeah, you know, it's kind of weird. And then someone says, Hey, maybe, maybe. James comes up to me and says, hey, you know, I was, I was in the back and Ryan was doing sound and, and Caitlin said, you're weird, man. You like walk around and you talk with your hands and stuff. I'm like, wait, this isn't right. Now there's a little bit, of, there's a little bit between me and a little bit between Ryan and a little bit between Caitlin because I'm like, Ryan's supposed to be my boy, man. He's supposed to have my back. And he's like talking about me. So now there's strife. And I, I'm mad at Ryan and I come in and I see he's working the sound booth and I look at Ben and I say, hey, Ben, you believe that knucklehead back there working the sound booth? Can you believe what he said? And your daughter said it too. And Ben's like, no, really? That's not, man, I don't think that way. So now what I'm doing is I'm building a team. James is on my team. Ben's on my team. And this is the strife team. And now there's a little bit of a, a, a slice right down the middle. Now, because Ben's on the praise team, Mike and Adrian and Randy and my wife, because my wife's always got my back, and Jay, they're like, hey, you know what? We're going to side with Tim. And then Ryan has his sound booth friends, so they're all siding with Ryan, and now we have a split church. We do. And Ryan is jealous of me, and I'm jealous of him, and now we're getting angry, and we're shouting at each other, and we can't have meetings. You see what Paul's saying? These are little, tiny, small things. But when they grow and they fester, they become these really nasty wounds of church destruction. Why is it important to maintain our unity and our holiness with God? Paul makes it really clear. Hey, if if you don't understand the concept of there's a spirit and there's a flesh, hey, Galatians chapter 5, right here. These are the things of the flesh. Outbursts of anger, jealousy, carousing, factions, dissensions, disputes. It's all here. And listen, it happens in our home lives. It happens in our church lives. And when that's the case, it's happening in our spiritual life. And we're standing with enmity against God. We're lost in the deceit of our lust. We are struggling, following after the world. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. You haven't learned Christ that way. You haven't learned Christianity that way. If, if you were a parent and this is the behavior of your child, you would correct them. You would, you would yoke them up and you would say, hey, we don't act like that. My kids are not going to act like this, right? I, that's what my dad did to me. I mean, maybe they don't do it these days. But that's what I do to my kids. I don't know. My kid goes running down the thing. Uh, maybe it's just because I'm a little old-fashioned. They go run. Hey, we don't run in church. You know, there's a number of reasons for it. One, yeah, it's, it, I, don't, I, don't, I don't think it's disrespectful. I think it's disrespectful. 
But there's other reasons for it because there's bowling balls, man. And can you imagine someone's not paying attention and they turn around to senior saint and then all of a sudden here comes Avery. The Avery 5000 blows right through them and then all of a sudden they're flat on their back. There's a reason for it. It's to protect her. It's to protect you. It's to protect a number of things. It's no different. God says, look, these are the rules. These are my commandments. It's not because I don't want you to have fun in life. It's because I love you and I want to prosper you and I want to bless you and I want to pour out love and faith and a relationship with me into your life. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control against such things. There is no law. There is flesh, there is the world, and there is the Spirit-driven, led life. You can... Take these verses, you can go home, you can print them out, put them in the mirror, and you could look at it every day and say, where's my anger today? Where's my love? Where's my peace? Where's my dissension? Where's my enmity? Where's my joy? And those are measuring sticks. And you can say, hey, you know what? These are a little bit bigger than these. i got to do some work. In verse 24 it says, Now those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh, with its passions and desires. I promise, I am almost done. You know, the crucifixion points to death. It points to suffering. It points to pain. It points sometimes to Christians who are ashamed of the cross. We don't want to carry it. We say, you know, we, we, we get the concept of it, I get it. I got to carry my cross. I got to share in the sufferings of Christ. But, you know, we get halfway up the hill and we're like, you know what? I'm just going to just set it off to the side for a minute. And I'm going to sit over here and I'm just going to relax. I don't want to be associated with that because I don't want to be associated with pain. I don't want to be associated with scorn. I don't want to be associated with the world looking at me going, man, that guy's crazy. He doesn't get drunk and he doesn't party. And he doesn't. You can fill in the blank. I don't know what you deal with. This is what I deal with. You know what I'm saying? We've, we've, we've abandoned the cross that we've crucified our flesh on. We've walked away from it. And we've said the world has something more for me. Just like Solomon said, it's pointless. It's useless. There's a, a principle of replacement. It's, it's, it's a basic concept. Anybody build a house in here? I don't know. Anybody ever done construction in their house? You go into a house. I watch sometimes. Everybody ever see Homes on Homes? I like the guy. Or, you know, he's the Canadian guy that fixes houses and stuff and whatever. But he comes into these houses and he looks at it and he's like, man, this is, this is really bad work. This is horrible. These guys had no idea what they were doing. And then he rips everything out. And then he says, all right, guys, enjoy your new house. See you later. And the show's over, right? No. He rips everything out, and piece by piece, he rebuilds it. Not just with stuff that's kind of like it, but with something that's better and new and supportive. And if we want to rip all the flesh out of our life, if we don't think to backfill it with something that's going to be new and supportive and stronger, guess what's going to happen? 
This is the thought we're going to close with. In Matthew chapter 12, verse 43 through 45, the first part, it says this, Now, when the unclean spirit goes out of a man, it passes through waterless places seeking rest and does not find it. Then it says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds it unoccupied, swept, and put in order. Then it goes and takes along with it seven other spirits more wicked than itself, and they go in and live there. And the last state of the man is worse than the first. And the concept here is real simple. We can clean up our lives all we want, and we can rip all the garbage out, but if we don't backfill it with the things that God wants for us, if we're not backfilling it with the fruits of the Spirit, what we're doing is we're making a really nice place for sin to come back. And when it comes back, it brings more stuff. You ever watch Hoarders? I, you know, something about that show just makes me, like, I get sucked into it. And it'll be like, man, it, I've watched, like, eight episodes, and it's all the same thing. It's, it's some person with a house full of stuff, and they work hard. And you watch, and they're struggling with their families, and they're fighting with each other. And, like, it's almost like, man, are they ever going to be able to survive this? But finally, they get the house cleaned. And then you're like, wow, the house doesn't look so bad after all. Look, there's a stove. And they're like, wow, I haven't been here in 15 years. And then they, they come back and revisit, and it's starting to pile up again. And it's filling back up. I'm just asking, are we cleaning space out of our lives just to backfill it with sin and corruption? Because the point is, whatever we rip out, if we don't replace it with something new, something stronger, something that's going to last, something constant, we're just going to want more and more and more and more and more of the junk. Has anybody ever seen Super Size Me? It's the McDonald's movie, which came back a couple years with Murloc, whatever his name is. Some of you are like, don't this bad. The guy's desire, his goal was, I think, for like 30 days. 30 days, all he was going to do was eat McDonald's. His goal is he eat everything on the menu at least once. And as he's going through, he's kind of mapping his health and how he's gaining weight and how it's affecting his emotional state and his mental state. And he's becoming addicted to McDonald's. And that's what, I mean, it's what he comes out. He says, my body, I craved it. Like when he had to detox, at the end of the 30 days, he tried to stop cold turkey and he was like a miserable guy to be around. He's yelling at his girlfriend. He's fighting with the neighbors. He's just like, I just want a Big Mac, man. It's all I want. Look, I'm not, it's not about McDonald's. I like McDonald's. McDonald's is all right with me. It's cool. We're good. Like, I, hey, me and Ronald, we get along. I like junk food. But the point is, listen, if that's our constant diet, it's going to impact our lives in a negative way. If we're just going to focus on sin and we're going to focus on the flesh and we're not willing to cut it out, we say, well, no one else is doing it. Why should I? Because that's what the Bible says. Why don't you be the catalyst that starts it? Maybe at your job. Well, I don't want them to think I'm weird. They probably already do. I'm just saying. I have the benefit of working in a Christian atmosphere. And I work with some people that think I'm weird for the way I live and what I believe and and how I want to serve God and how I want my family to serve God. So as we close, I'm just going to ask, How's our fellowship with God? Last week, we talked about having fellowship with each other and the things we could talk about and the seven things that we have in common. And How's our fellowship with God? How's our unity? Where do we walk? Where do we stand? Are, are we 
emptying out our lives just to let that stuff come back in? Or are we emptying out our lives saying, all right, come on in and rebuild, restructure? You know what? Let's blow out this wall and put a wall of holiness in. Let's rebuild these foundations, these, put some foundations of love, some foundations of joy. How about these I-beams? You know what? Let's tear out these rotten, moldy, termite-infested I-beams and, and just rebuild with peace. Every day, every day is a new struggle for me. But Paul says, I'm the chiefest of sinners. I look at that and I go, me too, Paul. Me too. I haven't attained. This, this speaks to me, hopefully as much or as little as it speaks to you, because you know when, when I read these words, this is conviction to me that says, hey, you know what, Mr. Strait? you got some things in your life you need to clean up and take care of too. You got an attitude. You got a mindset. You got you got a lust for things that you cannot or should not have in your life. That's the point. Where's our unity? Where's our unity with God? Are we locked in? Or are we locking Him out? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for today, and thank you for the opportunity to be here. And Lord, I, I pray that as we leave, we would just understand, Lord, that our, our flesh battles with the Spirit, and Lord, that we should be yielded to the Spirit. Lord, that you would work in our lives. Lord, that you would just drive us to, to honor the commitment that we've made to you, the commitment to our family, the commitment to our friends. Lord, that we would be a type of Christ, that we would honor you with our lives. Lord, that we would walk as you have called us to walk. Lord, that we would follow you as we've learned. Lord, that we would understand there is no darkness, only light, and that our lives should be only light. Thank you for being a God that loves us, a God of second, third, fourth, fifth, 10,000 chances. Lord, we close this time and we commit it in your hands. We ask these things in your name. Amen. All right. Um, you're dismissed. Have a great day. Happy Fourth of July.